0: For this edition of our Skift podcast, we will feature a roundtable discussion with Skift editors and analysts on the travel industry's prospects post U.S. election and post COVID nineteen. To join us and learn more about future Skift events, visit forum.skift.com to sign up and stay in the know about future forums, summits, and special events. Okay, all right, folks. My name is Rafat Eli. I'm the CEO and founder of Skift. Uh, I'm sure you, we've encountered uh, many of you in previous live broadcasts. We thought after the news, particularly this weekend, with the election results being clear, despite whatever anybody else wants to say, and (laughs) the Monday morning news, particularly uh, resonant in the travel industry, which is the news about the vaccine becoming uh, the, the potential first vaccine candidate having much higher effectiveness than experts initially had assumed. 90 percent the the Pfizer Biogen vaccine that potentially will be in the market at least in us in the second half of 2021 which obviously from a travel industry's perspective is huge this is what a lot of us and a lot of the industry is banking on the vaccine and the recovery that will hopefully happen from there Uh, we wanted to gather our team our team that day in day out talks to people in the travel industry our experts at what they do skift editorial and the research team that that you see on here i'm just going to go clockwise from my screen cam who covers hospitality for us lily who's into her week two of working with skift we're already putting her to work covers global global tourism for us and seth borco who is our senior research analyst covers among many other things economy and that that means for travel industry online travel airbnb particularly quite interestingly quite heavily these days for obvious reasons and also airlines on and off as well so those are some of the things that we will discuss for many of you who follow skiff closely i'm the one who comments on pretty much everything else but i'm standing on the shoulders of all the work that our team does so the past 10 months for uh, the travel industry as well as the SCIF team obviously has been interesting and, and um, challenging to say the least. And uh, a lot of the work, incredible work that our team has been doing in the last 10 months despite all the difficult circumstances, it's just a wonder to see from somebody who leads the team. Uh, it's just incredible to see. So we're going to get into the discussion, but I want to mention that one of the things that we've changed over the last few months is we've launched Skift Pro, which is our daily news membership. If you go to skift.com slash membership for as little as 82 cents a day, you are able to read Skift uh, $1, one, $1, one per day if you do an annual and less than that if you do buy annual, not buy annual. It's less um, than a cup of coffee. It really is cup. Well, actually, not in New York, well, not the corner street here in New York, but less than a cup of Starbucks coffee, yes. Uh, for sure. And um, and then Skiff Research, which uh, is a little more expensive than that, but that's because of the um, the work that they do and the incredible work that they do. So go to research.skiff.com for that as well. I know many of you are subscribers to that. Okay, preamble done. Seth, I'll, I'll come to you first. This week has been an incredibly hopeful time for the travel industry. I would say the first time in a long time, obviously, all this year. Is the optimism and so that that, uh, that that's happening? The news is also that this is a very dark winter to come because all the, all the second wave, particularly in US and, and Europe and other parts of the world as well, second or third wave coming and coming with a lot of ferocity. Is the uh, what is driving the optimism? Is the optimism warranted or misplaced?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great place to start. I think, I, mean, I, th- I think there, there's definitely reason for, for some optimism. I think it all starts with kind of like the economy Another political slogan is the economy. It's stupid, right? And travel is such a large part of that. And it, it, they're just totally interplay with each other. You can't have travel without consumers that have money and want to spend it without businesses that have confidence in future investment. You can't have travel without that. And then conversely travel itself, um, contributes a lot to the economy. And so what have we, we seen there? Well, let's, let's I think we should look at travel specifically. So we've developed something called the Skift Recovery Index. We're very proud of it. It's a proprietary index. And it, it aggregates a lot of really interesting features. We have forward-looking indicators like search activity. We have real data of dollar-dollar around bookings, around volumes, uh, airline seat capacity. We're kind of blending it all together to get a holistic look at how the travel economy is doing includes macroeconomic indicators in there as well so right now in the u.s our indicator is at 43. so what does that mean it's relative to last year so we are at 43 percent of the output that we saw this week last year in the u.s mm. so what does that tell us from a recovery perspective well in april the recovery index was at 15. <laughs> so we are doing a lot better than we were in april for sure um but we're hardly back there yet and unfortunately since about september we've been coasting at kind of this like mid 40 level. So the recovery has, it was an initial sharp recovery. It's since stalled. Um, and that, that's true. We're seeing that in a lot of places. That's not, you know, so true by the way, of maybe the broader us economy where overall unemployment is getting better. You know, the unemployment numbers keep getting better and better and better. And meanwhile, overall unemployment in the U S is 7% and in hotels, it's 25%. So there's still a lot needed. And the hope is that what well, will that the extra gap to get to that second leg will be hopefully a vaccine, and will be hopefully more stimulus. That was a big political thing that had stalled out. That was really had been given a lot of legs and really helping to kickstart that broader economic recovery with stimulus that came in April. The CARES Act it stalled and ahead of the presidential election. So there's there's hope that with a new administration, some new some new bills can be passed even if they're not travel specific if they help consumers and businesses that helps travel and then hopefully you know the new administration and new congress can address the fact that travel needs more help than the broader economy and so optimism
0: and um in terms of the vaccine from your perspective i mean certainly none of us are um experts at the science of it but um the 90 percent number is significant um which from what we understand, at least by reading, means that it it is ninety percent effectiveness in the people of preventing potential yeah uh, COVID, um, and that this is only one of the vaccines, and others obviously yeah, there there are many others that are um, competing with it, and so in U.S. The hope is that it will start getting distributed um, second half of next year. I'm guessing it will start with, um, well, they've said that it's gonna start with the the first responders, the medical personnel, um, people that are going to offices. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of activity on the large companies that are trying to get a hold on this for the employees. And then it will come to the general public. So we're looking potentially really mass distribution in, in late 21, 20, early 22 and, and beyond, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, that's my understanding. I mean, these things are very tricky. And, and even though we saw really encouraging data, there's always more data readouts to come, other trials to come. So I'm a, I'm definitely a half glass half full kind of guy. I'm, I'm an optimist, but uh, there's no guarantees. Yeah, I guess we understand of where we are, where the hope is that we're on track for.
0: And um, let's go back a little bit to skiff research um the work that you you have also done which is the skiff health score in terms of the health of the companies and we are tracking the top 100 public companies is that correct we
1: have have 100 public companies in travel and we're we're every quarter updating it with looking at their financial data stock market data fundamental data to see which companies do we think are in the best position in in terms of i mean the healthiest strongest companies versus the weakest And, and we have a a top 10 list that we we update we find it's unsurprisingly some of the, the larger brands and franchises we consistently put uh the otas book and holdings at the top spot
0: and they're in the top spot because they have the cash reserves and historically have higher profit margins yeah it, it's it's both
1: that they are they have they're a big company they raise a lot of cash so they're they're very well equipped to handle this downturn in their cash burn rates it's also because they have huge. Pretty much all their expenses are variable. It's pretty much all mm. uh, salaries and marketing. And so when there's no demand, they can just cut their marketing expense, and and they're you know kind of preserve sort of of the asset
0: light model. The asset
1: light model on steroids. Whereas you know an airline or or even a hotel operator, you know still a hotel owner still has real assets with fixed costs. They need to pay the rent and the electricity or the the gas bills for every you know every flight or hotel or whatever, right? So. It's just a lot easier for them to survive in this environment
0: so speaking of the hotel industry cam will come to you next and so hospitality have been covering you um joined skift a month before i think or maybe even a week before our office shut down uh, in march and have been uh, obviously throwing the fire from that perspective yeah. uh covering the hospitality industry which um which in many ways um is better off than some other sectors in travel, you, you could argue there's some demand, particularly local, that is blowing up a lot of things, innovations that are stickations and et cetera, et cetera, that you've covered quite a bit. you have also been covering quite heavily the owner investor perspective, which historically we, had, we, we hadn't covered as much, um, but because of your background and also because of our increasing interest in that part of the world. Um, so, in terms of hospitality, the forty percent uh, number that that Skip Recovery Index is sort of at—is that what you're seeing, or obviously variable across different companies, and the U.S. is different than other countries? So, what's your sense?
2: Yeah, it's funny um, when when I hear that that number, it, it it is pretty spot on to where occupancy is right now in the U.S. hotel industry. I mean, it just eclipsed over 50% at Labor Day. That's kind of been viewed as sort of the the high watermark um, mm-hmm. for the industry, I think, going forward. It's ba- been back now around, like, 47, 48. It kind of, like, fluctuates there. But it's it's pretty much plateaued. And um, I, I think there's been general momentum of, like, that's going to be where it is until we can get back corporate travel, events, why the bigger stuff that kind of keeps your... 800 room plus Marriott's or Omni's in business. Um, it, it, what's What's interesting is the hotel industry has been a little shy to address what's happening right now with rising case counts in the U S um, we're just coming off third quarter earnings and um, Hyatt CEO is really the only one I heard who was blatantly like, this is going to be a problem for us um, through the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And we need to really just, expect, even though they're, none of them are issuing uh, forward guidance right now because of just all the uncertainty. He's the one who said, like, it, the fourth quarter is going to be pretty brutal. And so I, I think we're going to see a little bit of retrenchment in how how the recovery has gone so far.
0: And uh, I know you speak to a lot of owners and investors as well. A lot of these uh, Marriott's and others have done very heavy cuts in their corporate staff. Their corporate staff, um uh, is, um, is, is, a, is a fraction really of what it used to be. So the sentiment from an investor slash owner perspective, as you're speaking to these, what, what do you think where, I mean, it looks like many of them are, are they evaluating these relationships more closely than they have in the past?
2: Definitely. I mean, like right now you have sort of this sparring of is bigger, really better. And if you talk to the Marriott's and Hilton's of the world, they say, yes, what else are they going to say? And that they expect to see growth through this because they're going to convince your independent hotel owner that taking a Marriott flag and putting it on your mom and pop in is the best way forward to build a customer base and market share coming out of this. Um, But, that hasn't materialized yet. It's actually what you've seen is a big, the story we've been covering kind of the most is this Boston real estate firm has actually deflagged or plans to deflag about 200 hotels affiliated with Marriott and IHG Mm -hmm. saying that they perform better with a smaller brand um, called Sinesta. And I, I keep seeing a lot of murmurs of independent hotel companies trying to link up, where they don't actually merge because no one has the money to do that right now. And that you know, for the it's enough to satisfy lenders if they have to go through special servicing or something like that to show like here's our business model forward, um, but without having to throw some of the revenue that they earn to to one of these bigger brands. So that's a long way of saying there's a lot of holes in this theory that big brand affiliation is going to be the the trump card uh coming out of this
0: and the brands that we um follow closely Marriott and all the big ones there was a sense that or at least was was some some um sense that they would shed some of the some of the sub brands that they have um hasn't officially i suppose happened yet even if they're putting some of the brands in hibernation uh, maybe yeah. you know doing less effort than that, more
2: effort than that? That's just it. I mean, it's kind of maybe hibernation, but if you have an owner who is happy with his brand affiliation and and the check clears, I think, why, why retire it? And so, I mean, we had a course, Sebastian Bazinon, in Ronnie's fantastic interview where he said, we have all these brands, but what was it? Something like 10 account for 90% of the revenue. Mm-hmm. So, I, But he also said, we're not going to get rid of the remaining, what, 24, um, just because there's such identity, people love them, even if there's only two of them in the world. I mean, Howard Johnson, for instance, is a brand that's been around forever. I, I never would have thought that's going to be some growth. And what do we see? They're adding a bunch of Howard Johnsons in India right now because it's a strong brand. So I think it's just kind of, I, I, if they haven't gone away during the Great Recession, if they haven't gone away this year, I, I don't think brand bloat is ever going to be a problem that goes away.
0: Yeah, interesting. It's uh it's it's probably a case of like, um, a problem that doesn't exist, but but everybody hopes is is um, is there for some reason. I mean, I guess from us, like, uh, oh, you should focus on this, like uh, the natural yeah. instinct of businesses, you should focus on things, but uh, but I suppose if it works, why? And and overheads aren't that that many, really. Yeah. So so, um, um, Lily. So um, you've obviously been covering tourism um, prior to Skift obviously yes. been writing about it uh, has have done freelance work for us before obviously coming on full time as well. Um, one of the big questions that everybody has, uh, USA's brand has been hugely affected, not just in the last four years, but sort of has been the um, but for, uh, for a, a lot of not just because of, the, of Of the political leadership, but but for all reasons, um, has obviously taken a hit over the last four four years, five years, and maybe more. Um, From your perspective, as you're thinking about and you're covering and speaking to people in the industry, the inbound when it opens up, because right now it's not really open in a a sort of uh, the rest of the world uh, is not open either. um, How? how are you thinking through and how is the industry thinking through the the damage that Brand USA or USA's brand, I keep saying Brand USA because Brand USA is an actual marketing organization that markets US, Um, but USA's brand, uh, how much of damage do you think it has gone through?
3: You know, I think that um, there's definitely a flicker of optimism, uh, probably the biggest one we've had so far. And as you said, I mean, it's been a really difficult four years or more for the US on the tourism end. And uh, I remember even four years ago when uh, tourism tanked immediately as soon as, as the election results were announced. And so I think that um, we're really, um, the US has a chance to turn this around. I mean, image is everything, as you know, a marketing destination is difficult when you have a leadership that is anti-immigrant, anti-female, anti-black, um, anti-gay. Uh, I mean, where do we start? So I think that there's a chance here to start working on on rebuilding that image now, and um it's never too early. um you know we have i mean just having a vice president who is a female you know for the first time and is of Caribbean and black descent and indian descent is is just phenomenal so it's it's kind of like reminding people of of what the U.S. really stood for in the past. And I've heard comments, I mean, even um, on Saturday when it was, you know, the results were coming Mm -hmm. in and folks were saying, oh, I can't wait to go back to the U.S. again. You know, that's (laughs) pretty amazing. Uh, And so um, lots of uh, chance to to see that change. And then, you know, it's expected, it's been predicted that under Biden, you know, immediately within the first hundred days, he's going to lift some of the bans, you know, against... Numerous right. countries. I mean, it had started with the Quite Muslim, the term, ban, but it had expanded things, yeah. quietly <laughs> to include other countries. Huge, yeah, yeah, yeah so I think that's. Um, I mean, in terms of Africa, uh, you know.
0: borders reopening, uh, is there? Uh, are we? Are, is the industry riding off twenty twenty one in terms of international borders being um, open in a in a in a wide sense beyond sort of these corridors between Singapore and Hong Kong, etc. That those types of arrangements.
3: You know, I'm skeptical in the corridors. Um, I think that the priorities are going to be really getting a handle on this virus. Um, I mean, obviously, we don't know if a vaccine is really going to turn out to be effective within the next six months or not. But I think that um, for there to truly be an increasing in travel, um, they would have to work on a on a more unified. Um, system to get people traveling again oh, yeah. um, but first get the virus under control and I think that's really the challenge right now but but having a leadership that's going to um, prioritize that is yeah. I think the
0: biggest pretty big um, for tourism that has, um, and um, lot, everybody's talked about this the unified response is the biggest missing piece globally um, not just in travel but like worlds in everything
3: and globally and yeah, yes. Glo- mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> globally and also regionally. You know, you're seeing it even within regions. It's just this, this lack of uh, lack of unity in terms of how to handle the the testings and the quarantines and all of that. And I think that once that's sort of resolved, about, or at least closer um, to being resolved, then we're, the economies we might that are see a hugely,
0: change. hugely dependent on tourism. This you live in one, in fact, um, DR, and so Caribbean, which is an You know a region that you know very well you've covered a lot as well historically uh and now um and you did a big piece on the future of caribbean tourism for skiff recently as well um what's the what's the state and what's the hope
3: um well you know the caribbean is Mm -hmm. as you know that the most dependent region in the whole world on tourism so they've they've really had to kick off their industry sooner than everybody else Um, I think it started in June. And so um, it's been this tough balance between, you know, the public health versus getting the economies going again. Um, And I think that because of that, they're more at risk than other countries. Um, In terms of the... The new administration, I, I think it's it's good news for the Caribbean, but um, at the same time, there are those that say um, that it won't be much change because um, I don't know if you know. I mean, I don't know if most people know this, but um, China has been a, a increasingly major partner for the Caribbean in terms of um, mm-hmm. you know economic development, infrastructure, and so on. So even tourism, um, and so you know, on the, on the, on the economic side, um, they might not be such a massive difference, but at the same time on the source market side, it is, because the yes, number yes. one source of tourists for the Caribbean is the U S. So as long as the U S is not under the control, under control, as far as the pandemic, then Let me um, ask a it's just question. to delay the Caribbean the fully recovering. The
0: state of cruise tourism in it, or, um, in the Caribbean and, uh, potentially a chance to, uh, to reinvent, um, Cruise has been a huge industry for the Caribbean historically and uh, leading up to this, obviously completely closed. In fact, somebody put a question, what's the coronavirus incident on the Sea Dream? This is the first cruise in the Caribbean islands that that, that, that restarted yeah. last week and already has a positive incident, unfortunately. Um, your sense on tours, on yes. cruise tourism.
3: Honestly, I, mean, I don't think it's going to disappear totally. Um, I do think that the smaller ships were a good idea. I just think that the cruise industry needs to slow down and, and there's a rush to sort of get back to business. And as we see, it's it's not going to be, it's it's just going to be worse. Cases, you know, I mean, they, they've on, already okay. got six cases on that yeah, first ship that one, sailed out, six, out of Barbados, yeah. um, including
2: including yeah. journalists.
3: Yeah, including journalists on that ship. So um i think that the future for cruise tourism is not looking great i think that they're probably going to be the last to truly fully recover um and the more they rush it the more damaging it is going to be to that industry so um unfortunately the caribbean will be forced to boost their overnight tourism and just get Which really creative is better for them because terms terms i think of one of the their challenges to the
0: tourism um, is the tourism to also. attract new visit new visitors that have a sense of Caribbean, even though that may or may not be reality, uh, they need to reinvent their brands in so many ways. Um, one other sector that's hit as almost exactly. as that set, I'm going to come to you in a second, is the is the tour operator sector. This is the group tour business that is 100% shut, as you know, similar to cruises. Until recently, there's some domestic domestic demand and the the amazing part about the tour operator industry, this is the multi-day package tours, is that it's all small businesses that roll up into larger businesses, and unfortunately have been hurt the most. Um, Seth, uh, you were making a point. Go ahead.
1: No, sorry, I, I was just gonna kind of segue on on Lily's point about cruise and, and when that comes back. I think it comes plays into the different potentials of of the vaccine, right? I like, you know, like. I think the vaccine, just an earlier point, is that the vaccine can have a couple of different benefits, right? In terms of, it can, it can jumpstart travel before everyone is fully vaccinated. And then once hopefully it's effective and safe and everyone is fully vaccinated, well then certainly at that point, um, the cruise industry could recover. But I think there's this interesting thing I've been thinking about, which is this concept of, uh, there's, this, there's some studies done after 9-11 about what it takes to get people traveling again and one is income it's the economy but they also talk about it's your perception of risk and also the society's perception of risk and the public's perception of risk which is kind of like the like the call your mom factor and when you tell your mom you're taking a flight and she gets very upset you know there goes that trip even if you felt personally comfortable or, mm-hmm. or we have we have a travel tracker survey that surveys americans about their travel habits and increasingly visiting friends and family is like the number one type of travel it's coming up with thanksgiving it's coming up with december Maybe I feel personally fine flying, but I don't want to fly and then go see my, my older parents, right? But if, if just they have a vaccine and I don't, that trip can still happen, even though we're not fully vaccinated. So on the one hand, with the vaccine, maybe you can start to have more hotels and flight stays, but then there's a certain limit when you hit like really big events where everyone needs to be vaccinated. You're going to be in close, confined spaces. And maybe that's where in the cruise industry, or perhaps even the events industry run up again. Yep. Right.
3: And I think that, that yeah, sorry. I think that affects its image, you know, too. I mean it's a brand image. It's it's you don't you don't want to be in that situation where you're splattered over the front page again because
2: totally. I guess like um, yeah, I come
3: you took a risk. Yeah, I think you know? like
2: for the hotel side, the news from a vaccine, what that does, I think immediately is you keep hearing how the events business is pretty robust. If you look at the second half of 2021, I think the positive news from Pfizer, um, maybe that locks in those dates a little bit more than hotel owners had felt they would a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, That said, I am a little curious if this news is gonna do much over the next three months, because I mean, what we're hovering around 150,000 new cases a day in the U.S. And I, I don't think even if there is something down the horizon with more than 90% efficacy, how, how many people are gonna be like, okay, let's keep, let's keep traveling in full force over the holidays.
0: My, my thought on that is that unless we're comfortable in our local lives, it's gonna be very hard for travel to come back. Like, am I, to your point, Seth, um, on the research, which is, am I comfortable with my kid going to school first? Like, that's the first barrier or the biggest barrier in my life today. And all of our lives, you know, are our immediate family members safe going to do immediate things? And I think if that is settled, then we go out one concentric circle outside, then another concentric circle outside. That's why local tourism is having a boom in terms of like I can go in my bubble, in my car, um, to a place and 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 that sort of the one um, from an airline perspective. Seth, um, yeah, since um, you you look very deeply at the airline sector as well, um, I guess somewhat similar dynamics to hotels, which is there is a some amount of demand. Um, the numbers from TSA and US are increasing. They've sort of plateaued potentially at this point. Um, the airlines are very well capitalized. The surprise is that none have gone bankrupt yet, at least the big ones yeah. in the US have not gone bankrupt. Maybe not surprising. Well, they got a huge,
1: I mean, a huge that's government gone, bailout, right. effectively, right? Which is why they, they haven't gone bankrupt yet. Otherwise, they would. Um, you know, the airlines are in a, a very uh, a tricky spot because their demand is normalizing somewhat. They're, I think their biggest challenge right now is convincing people to dip their toes in the water and take the first flight. And we, we heard, uh, I think it was from Southwest, they told chief us- Chief
0: Commercial Officer, correct.
1: Yeah, propensity to travel from their chief commercial officer that um, it, it's like 50 point increases in propensity to travel once you take your first flight. So repeat travel is a big deal. I um and the other bit is how yeah it's all about how safe you are gonna feel i see a question in the chat about rapid testing at airports hotels so that's that's a big thing too that is only real at least in the u.s only just now getting rolled out we were talking uh our with the edit team uh the editorial team last night about the past cdc screening efficacy you know they screened the way they did it initially when it first started and this does speak somewhat to the administration they screened uh like 750,000 passengers for for COVID. What they did was temperature checks and survey forms. Like, have you been around someone with COVID or do you feel ill? Do you know how many people out of the, like almost 700, I think I'm reading this right, like 700,000 people, how many people reported they'd been in contact with someone in COVID in the last two weeks? It was like four, some some insanely small number. Just to show you how ineffective those checks were. So the rapid testing is definitely a step up. It (laughs) Certainly is more effective than that. Whether it's truly effective, as with the cruises, we're seeing it's not 100 percent effective, but it makes people feel better. It helps people get into the airport. And then once they take their first flight, they're more likely to take their next flight. And if you pair that with some form of vaccine distribution, I can start to see a slightly you know, somewhat optimistic scenario for airlines. But it's, it's tough. And it also let me just make one more point. It very much matters on your market. The best performing airline in the U.S. this quarter was Allegiant. Because low cost, low cost structure, low fares, all leisure travel, you know, very nimble, point to point with our routes. Worst performing was Hawaiian because it's almost entirely international travel. Because Hawaii, again, right or wrong, whether, you know, they're protecting the local community, we can debate that, certainly. But they had very strict quarantine requirements. You couldn't drive to that market. Huge Pacific Trans-Pacific business coming from Asia to Hawaii. So Hawaiians just doing terrible. So it's going to very much depend on your market too, you know, business versus leisure, international versus domestic. Yeah, it's fascinating
0: yeah. some of the earnings on, um, on the airline earnings. So this is obviously earnings season as we talked about on, I think it was um, maybe United and others that are, I mean, every, every, everybody's shifting their capacity from the business routes to the leisure routes. And obviously yeah. JetBlue and others are trying to capitalize because they were ones obviously yeah. always ahead they of that. Um, yeah. VFR is an, a term that unfortunately doesn't get talked about much. Um, is not being talked about visiting friends friends and relatives no. um, market, which the industry doesn't like as much because there's there's you know people maybe staying with their family. So the, the hotel no. industry doesn't get the revenues. Maybe they're spending less on food because obviously they're eating with their friends and family. But the reality is it's what's... Keeping the industry afloat in many ways, in many you know, in many parts of the world.
1: My uh, work indicates that. Oh, sorry.
3: Yep. With, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Rafa, that I agree. I mean, it's course, you know, yeah. let's not discount the diaspora. Yeah, and I think it's huge. Uh, JetBlue Jet has mass. actually said so that, for that the their traffic that to Caribbean is, is, is
0: decent because of the back and forth potentially, as well. Um, Cam, from a hospitality perspective, we've seen a lot of at least startup innovations on things like, um, you know, make come and stay at our hotel, staycation type stuff, um, whether obviously taking a staycation or or working from the hotel. A couple of the operators that I spoke to recently said that it's actually turning into a real business, at Mm -hmm. least in New York, for the locals. Obviously, the mileage will vary from place to place, it probably requires a denser cities for it to work. Um, From your perspective, these innovations that are coming in, and then we haven't even talked about business travel uh, yet. Um, We did talk a little bit about events, but um, from your perspective, um, what's
2: what's real, what's not there? So, yeah, the biggest innovation that you're seeing come out of this space is this work from hotel concept that it's supposed to be a bridge between, you know, you're not your company not letting you back into the office, you're tired of working from home because the dog's barking, your child's coming to play during a Zoom meeting. Um, and, and so they're offering to a day use program. Marriott's offering like a multi-day pr- platform even. And, and pretty much all the companies now are doing this. Um, there's some legs there i think their biggest hurdle is how do you market this because i think a lot of people are looking at this scratching their head and saying how is this any different than just booking a room at a hotel and you asking to use their business center um you have seen some pretty interesting pairings so far Um, industrious which is an actual co-working provider partnered with this smaller california brand proper hospitality where they're actually going retrofitting the space to make it actually conducive for working there during the day. It's not just using the desk in a hotel room. They have kind of the amenities, the snacks, the coffee, et cetera, that you expect from a WeWork or an industrial space in these hotels. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've talked to some old sources of mine who are actually in the commercial real estate like office space, and they think, you know, is it going to be enough to keep Marriott like at the same level of business travel as they did before, except they're just staying during the day instead of overnight. No, but it is something that could have a pretty niche um, audience going forward, even after the pandemic, because if you do have more companies cutting back the amount of space that they need at an office, but they're willing to foot the bill at this, because a lot of these aren't that perfectly honest. I mean, a Mandarin Oriental day use pass is still 350 bucks um here in boston i mean I, I was looking at some of the marriott ones they're still 250 400 bucks i mean it, it's you're still going to need a company to sort of subsidize that and i i think that it could be there um real quick too i, I did want to go back to this audience question that seth was answering um I, I think rapid testing is going to be the game changer for the hotel industry, but not so much the roadside Holiday Inn. They're doing fine. Drive to leisure travel, great. Um, Why are it's going to be fun? Long- because there is more of a sense that you can control your stay there. They're affordable um, at a time where, even though you know all the data shows people are actually saving money through this, they're not maybe necessarily willing to shell out quite yet because. Again, there's still so much uncertainty of. Yeah, of are it's we going to be a W and
0: job?s And everything is lost. Like there's real pain all around.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So people are still wanting to get out there, but yeah. why not do it at a Wyndham or a Choice Hotel or something a little bit more affordable rather than flying to a resort? They're, um, all, they're
1: all likely to capture the essential business traveler, precisely in construction or or healthcare who need a, a or the same with extended stay a low a low cost place to stay for work travel that still happens
2: exactly um but where this rapid testing i think brings back is las vegas i mean and especially the midweek business in las vegas because there's all this question of sure we have this good news about a vaccine how many people are actually really going to take it um i don't think you're going to be able to have a consumer electronics show at its former glory until you have something like rapid testing where if you can tell like get people in there at the same level, but safely say, Hey, everyone is negative. Um, that's how you get it back. And I, I, I think that brings back a lot of these thousand plus room hotels in, in Vegas on a Wednesday night.
0: Yeah, um, um, Seth, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about the thing that uh, we've been expecting for a long time, the Airbnb IPO. Uh, let's talk about, uh, short-term rentals have been going through a boom uh, mm-hmm. this year initially the conventional wisdom was well they're done for because nobody wants to stay in other people's homes the the secret that not so secret everybody uh was that they weren't other people's homes these were professionally managed well, yeah levels of professionally managed vacation rental uh, industry is what it is at this point and so they've gone through a boom in fact i would argue at this point airbnb prices uh i have seen or the highest i've ever seen um on airbnb it's not just me saying it this is what data is also telling you um and then obviously the other players vrbo which was having a tough time one by Expedia is actually doing very well right now um good for them on that front uh, booking.com i'm sure is seeing a similar rise for their integrated product as well um airbnb ipo s1 potentially is, is dropping from what we understand next week.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we don't have the, hopefully next week, that's what we're, we've heard. It, it's an exciting time for a short-term rental. I mean, it's been a, a growing space and it's definitely no longer, I mean, it is a sub-industry, but it's really its own industry now with its own niches, which I think is very important to understand when we break this down, because there's been short-term rentals in urban markets, in apartment buildings, there's the whole master lease model of Sonder and Lyric. There's been professionally managed whole homes and vacation destinations. There's been what Airbnb started with, which is the shared bedroom. And each of those submarkets, of itself a sub market, are performing very differently. The mm-hmm. shared apartment space that Airbnb is known for, to your point, Profit, people don't want to people don't want to stay in a stranger's home in, on their couch right now. But and, and there's also been a decline in travel to um, to urban cities, partly because that's where initially of the bigger outbreaks were and also because a lot of the cultural amenities are closed or were closed you know museums and stuff like that so what happened was the short-term rental market have been doing great but it's been these professionally managed vacation market destination drive-to destination markets in you know the south or the beach or or the mountains that have been doing incredibly well some of them seen their best years ever in history as opposed to well the rest of the travel industry is struggling they're up year over year and by the way, you're swallowing about the, some of the data points in terms of uh, Verbo. It was just Expedia subsidiary. They saw their Expedia as a whole, the whole Expedia group saw the revenue per room that it earns increase because not because they were selling more stuff, but because they were selling more rooms via Verbo, and those are more expensive rooms and they were earning higher commissions from higher and higher length of stays and higher daily rates. And so the rev, even though the room night sold went down, the revenue per room went up and that was almost entirely because it shifted from selling hotels to selling those full home long term stay um, vacation rentals. So that's really been the sweet spot. There's a, a, a ton of professionalization that's happening there and I think will we'll continue to happen. So it's an exciting time for Airbnb to go public because I, mean, I can't wait to get my hands on it. because. They have a little bit of everything. They're not, I said, that's where they start in that shared bedroom, but they have plenty of full homes. They're a major, major distribution platform. They're in, in China. They have a big business. They also have an experienced business to our party. So when we get our hold on that filing, we're going to be able to dig into it and really get mm-hmm. a, an even better sense than we have now about how that market has been, been reacting. Um, hotels are regaining some of their strength, though. I will I will end on a, a somewhat sober and not sober, but a, a more a, a downbeat, I guess, for this that. In Q3, what Bogan and Expedia saw was that huge mix shift to vacation rentals in Q2, still a big shift in Q3, but less than what Mm -hmm. they saw in Q2. People are trying hotels out a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I think again, it's one, it's more time has passed so people have more adjusting, human behavior is adjusting. Lily, let me ask you this question and we're we're wrapping up. I, I have one more question, I saw one more question, but in terms of this debate on sort of cities and the future of cities and people not wanting to go to cities at least for a while to come versus more remote destinations and potentially benefiting obviously some of the some of the islands when when air routes reopen etc um new york city where where um well, i'm here uh seth is here as well um what's the future of new york city and city tourism cam you're obviously in boston but yeah yeah.
3: yeah, it's funny, I, I was about to comment on Seth's uh, mention of the cities and how people are exiting. And um, I think cities are going to come back stronger um, out of this. And we're seeing it already. There are cities like, uh, I was just looking at this last week, Paris, uh, London, that are completely shifting their priorities, you know, in terms of in, um, improving transportation methods, taking off parking spaces and turning those into pedestrian areas for cyclists as well, Um, more green. um, And so they're just becoming sort of more um, technologically savvy too. I mean, they're using um, tech platforms to determine where it's congested, change that, and just reconfigure the standard of living and the quality of living. So um, even places like Milan, I saw... Um, even Addis Ababa in Ethiopia is is completely greening and um, building a whole bunch of new parks in in the downtime, like when well, there's nobody around. So I think that it's looking very promising for cities, even though it's a difficult time. But when we come out on the other end of it, and we will. Certainly, um, we haven't
0: seen such a major real boom estate for cities. Um, well, the opposite is happening. The real estate boom is happening in 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 house buying. How do we sort of wrap our heads around that? Um. I, it's, it's hard to tell. I
1: mean, uh, I think a lot of that boom is happening in suburbs outside the cities, right? It, it's people, um, you know, finally saying this is the time to have a little bit of backyard. That would be a nice thing to have right now. Um, uh, you know, less impact. It, it, it's going to depend. I mean, certainly as far as the, the short term rental market goes, by the time I can do it. I mean, people, have more home ownership or even second homeownership, which actually there is some of that happening. Mm-hmm gives you creates more inventory for the short-term rental market and part of that by the way is driven by interest rates which are low and will remain low for a very long time that encourages buying um but there's a lot more to the real estate market than just the home stuff you've got the office space you've got residential and apartments um it, it's it's very much in in flux it, there's the future of travel is very much tied in with the future of real estate you know more homes is more inventory for short-term rentals uh empty residential buildings could lead to further rise in, in, in again urban short-term rentals and maybe a re- resurgence of master lease, uh, commercial space is going to be intimately tied up with with working remotely and digital nomad kind of stuff. So it, it's hard to it's, you've asked me a huge question. And I don't know if I have a, a precise quick an- answer. Fine, to end on, but Our
0: job is uh, one, uh, one of the um, one of the things that I say a lot is our jobs is to ask the 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 the, the hard and the and the foolish questions. Uh, because if we don't ask, who's going to ask? So uh, it's a big part of our job. One of the things, oh, looks like Seth got dropped off. (laughs) Ah, Seth, you're coming in and out. Um, You're good now. Uh, You're good now. You're good now. One of the things that people confuse our role is like, oh, we should be less harsh on the travel industry. Well, our job is not, is to be neither. Our job is to, um, uh, be a chronicler of what's happening uh, and um, tell your sister to stop calling you. Um, I'm joking. I'm kidding. Um And um, <laughs> our job is to ask the hard questions and tell as it is like we're the realists in many ways and um, and skeptics, not cynics, skeptics in general, that's our role. So it's a, it's a it's a push and pull that we have to explain to a lot of people. It's like, why are we beating an industry while well done or we're not we're going to ask the hard questions because who's going to ask the hard questions uh last question let's see what what do you think of the global testing would look like who would coordinate this oh my god if we can solve this we would solve everything in, in the world some countries have guidelines for travel entries Some <laughs> their airports have programs this is the biggest thing um i
3: think it's i think it's more sort of standardized procedures you know it's it's not a single universal testing, but even before a vaccine comes along, it's it's having a, you know, if I'm going to, say, you know, England or I'm going to um, Italy or I'm going somewhere else. I mean, there has to be a, some sort of standardized procedure that I know what I'm expected to do and I don't have to look up 10 gazillion rules. And, and, um, and there have been some efforts, really the one that was a common pass, right
0: is, is that what it's called? It's the one that Matt has been written, has, um, Matt, who covered business travel for us, has been writing about is this common pass effort that's very well funded from what we understand and i think amex and others have have adopted it um which is a sort of a common testing it's a digital passport it's a word that people have been talking about for 10 for for these for all of this year which is uh, on my phone i have a thing which says i've been tested and i this was the last time i was tested and you can scan and go and flight and standardized i mean that's to your point Mm -hmm. really on standardization of of common standards across this which unfortunately like if the visa if if our passport authorities around the world somehow got got hold of of managing this it feels like it could be done but to your point if we haven't been able to manage the disease itself in our localities travel and traveling which is a much lower order unfortunately today um it's gonna take a long time.
1: Yeah, to, to your point about being a, 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 maybe a skeptic, but not a cynic, but I, I, I it'd be ideal, it'd be ideal to have a single global yeah. digital passport, but I'm a bit skeptical. Yeah, well, the good news is, is that optimism is
0: back. So at least at minimum, we're gonna take that as a start. And uh, we'll go from there, the 40% number that I've also been saying, if the industry can figure out a way to survive in that 40 to 60%, demand/revenue slash revenue, not demand revenue uh obviously we'll have to cut unfortunately the jobs that have been, that have been lost the pain that is, industry has gone through is just incredible and um if it can hold on for another 2021 mm-hmm. the chances are that that the, the pent up demand that that we have seen the the, the 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 need for people to travel the more meaningful ways of people traveling the green shoots, the innovation that's coming There that, that is happening. There is a lot of innovation in, 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 in times like these you just have to yes. know where to look um, from all parts of the industry and even you know players on the edge, which is um, amazing to see. And so uh, for from our perspective, stay tuned to skift because this is what we do for a living. Which is to uh, latch not only hard ask questions, uh, not only ask the hard questions, but also keep an eye on the innovations that are happening that maybe on the edges and then come to the mainstream. Hopefully, because of us writing it, and um, uh, we'll be back soon. I don't think the Twitter uh, live stream worked, but uh, unfortunately, but we'll figure
3: it out the next time. Thank you, folks, for listening. Oh, well.